Hi, I'm Jan. And I'm Lynn. Welcome to the second season of Lamplighters Podcast. Lamplighters is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. No matter who you are or where you are, no matter the time or experience you've had following Jesus, or if you haven't had any experience at all, we are grateful to be on this journey with you and look forward to becoming more of who God created us to be. Okay, so last week we immersed ourselves in the dramatic coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and how he emboldened the disciples, especially Peter, to share about Jesus. So to start the church, it was the begin- the birthday of the church. Right. Okay, so today we have our friend Meredith with us, and she is going to explore another dramatic event in the life of the early church. Hi, hi guys. Thank you hi. so much for having me. I I love getting to be here with y'all. Um, every time I do this, um, preparing for a podcast, it just makes me dive deeper into the lesson I learn and experience God in a whole new way in the Holy Spirit. So it's a blessing for me. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to start today, I want everyone, all of you listening, and just close your eyes, and I want you to think of a time when you were in the dark, like the darkest you can think of. Mm. I'll tell you mine, and maybe it'll help you think of one. So it was when my kids were, one of my kids, I don't remember which one, was in third grade. I went as a chaperone on this field trip with their class to Natural Bridge Caverns. Have y'all ever been on this trail? Oh, yes. Okay, yes. So they give you a group of kids to walk with on the tour. I guess there's too many. You can't Mm -hmm. all go at once. So you're like you and a couple other parents are there. And you go and tour down into the caverns. And there's this one part of the tour when the tour guide warns you to find a sturdy place to stand and don't move. And then they turn off all the lights in that part of the cave. I have literally never experienced darkness like that. It's not like at night. There's no, there are no stars, no moon. There is no light. I could not see my hand in front of my face. And I did have a lot of little third grade hands in mine pretty quickly after that experience. I'll tell you, it was terrifying. I yeah. could not see. Mm-hmm. Meredith, it's funny you, you share that because last year when we were um, studying Jesus as the light of the world, I used that exact story. Only mine was I was in eighth grade. And we were at um, Carlsbad Caverns. Yeah. And it was the same thing. You cannot, there's nothing else in life that, that puts you in that kind of darkness that I've ever experienced. And it just goes to show, I think, that we have a really profound experience when we have that experience of total darkness. Yeah. You know, I, it's, I've it's had the same thing. It's, yeah. it, it's just unbelievable. I kept thinking, I'll be able to see my hand yeah. in front of my face. Yeah. And my mind was saying, uh, sure, you can see your hand. But my eyes were saying, I don't see your hand. Right. It's total darkness. Um, but I want to share because my darkest experience was actually not physical, mm. but it was a spiritual one. Um, when our daughter was killed, the lights went out for me of course. and they didn't come back on. Unlike the cave where you always know the lights are going to come back. Yeah. Right. So I fell into a deep, dark hole and I couldn't climb out. Um, I went back to this wonderful therapist Harold and I have had for years who encouraged me to draw what I was feeling. No, seriously. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I am not an artist, and to draw a feeling, I just couldn't even get started on that. But what I did was I picked up a Crayola, and I started coloring on an eight and a half by eleven sheet of white paper. Mm-hmm. And I will come back to that at the end. Okay. Wow. I can't <laughs> wait to hear. I. Yeah. These are powerful stories. Darkness is powerful, and it's scary. And um, there's stories of different kinds of darkness. We've um, physical and a spiritual, like you talked about, Jan, and mm-hmm. we see that in our study today. We see this darkness. It's a blindness, really. And 
it's and it's spiritual and physical and um it's in our main character today. So yeah. I just kind of wanted to start there so we could think about darkness and blindness and not being able to see. But for now, let's open up our lesson for today. Um if you'll remember, I love to do this. It's just helpful for me. We're in the middle of kind of this year-long study on the Holy Spirit. We started our study, we read the read the scriptures hand, answering like who is the Holy Spirit? We moved on to reading about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and then the New Testament. <clears throat> Then we took time and learned about the Holy Spirit's work in the life of Christ, and now we're in the middle of the Holy Spirit's work in the church. And as you said, Jan, last last week we were in the book of Acts, Acts 2, where it's the birth of the church, right? We see the Holy Spirit moving. So now we look at our text today, and we're fast-forwarding. We're in Acts 9. We're reading a continuous text today instead of a lot of little bits, which mm-hmm. we did that last week too, and there's a lot. There is no way we're going to be able to talk about each verse in here, but Let's just start at the beginning because there was something that struck me immediately. In verse one, it says, Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. The first thing I wondered is, what, what, oh, Meanwhile, what does that mean? What was happening? <laughs> yeah. I, meanwhile, we, we skipped a lot. Yes, I know. It made me curious. <laughs> what was chapters. happening? Last week was Acts two, and so we've skipped to nine. Yeah. What was happening? So, for context, I backed up a few chapters. And I started reading. I started at Acts 6. You can go read it if you'd like, all of it. It's very, there's so much good stuff in there. But at the beginning of Acts 6, we see the church growing, right? The the birth, the Holy Spirit has come, and now the church is growing. Mm-hmm. And some members are starting to complain that the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so the leaders were being stretched thin, and things were being overlooked. So they were choosing more leaders to help. They prayed, and they laid their hands on them, and they sent them out into the service of the church. It's a really good Story. It's we do this in the church today. We choose gifted and called people to use their gifts in the service of the church. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Um, in our, our our tradition, we call them elders and deacons. Um, but I think probably every church has something similar. To yeah, that. we all do. I mean, elders and deacons are definitely a part of that in our tradition. But we also have so many leaders. We have Sunday school teachers, worship leaders. We have those who serve and minister to the poor and marginalized in our in our city. Everyone has gifts, and they have a part to play in God's kingdom. Mm. And in the church. Well, so at that time, one of the leaders they chose, his name was Stephen. And it says in Acts 6, 8, that he was a man full of God's grace and power, and he performed great wonders and signs among the people. And what happens to Stephen in those chapters is the Jewish leaders, they don't like what he's doing. They make up lies about him or they twist the truth and they accuse him and they eventually stone him to death. And that's where we first meet Saul. That's the first time we see this guy, Saul, that we're hearing about today in our scriptures too. Um, and in Acts 7, 7, 56, we see that that's what they say. A young man named Saul, he's at the execution of Stephen. He's there. But he's people are just coming to watch or to help stone, and they're laying their coats down at Saul's feet. But so he's not exactly participating in it. But after Stephen's death, we see in the very first verse of chapter 8, we see that it says, Saul approved of their killing him. And so after Stephen is buried, then you see Saul And in verse 3, it says he begins to destroy the church. He starts going from house to house, and he's dragging men and women of the faith to prison. And then the rest of Acts 8 takes a turn, and it goes to another character named Philip. And it actually seems a little bit random, like we have these stories peppered out. We see Stephen, and then we see Saul, and then we go away from Saul, and we go to Philip. Um, And it looks random, but a lot of scholars think it may be intentional that this part of Acts, is, it begins describing a series of conversion stories, mm-hmm. each one getting more and more and more dramatic, showing how the church begins to grow from just the 12 disciples who were there with Jesus and had an experience of Jesus when he was living, 
to this time where people have their own encounters with Jesus and become believers, and the church starts to grow through the Holy Spirit's work. So in the weeks to come, we're going to be looking at a series of individuals who had conversion encounters with Jesus and then shaped the early church. That is a real uh, visual explanation for me of what's going on, and it, it builds a scaffold for the rest of our study. So thank you for yeah. Meredith. I'm going to keep that sure. in my mind. Oh, yeah, and it just it helps to know that, that Saul is just one of those, and he is instrumental in the early church mm-hmm. um, and has a very dramatic story, which is where we are today. So we're just turning our attention back to Saul. We just remember he was at the stoning of Stephen. He approved of it, and he began persecuting the church. That's where we were. And he shows up. He shows up later in Acts, just so you know, because we're just so nobody gets confused. Um, Saul is Paul. Okay, so you've heard a lot about Paul. Well, Saul is Paul, and we don't exactly know when his name changed, or all we know is in Acts 13.9, it says Saul, who is also called Paul. So it seems that after this story, the name is interchangeable. So mm-hmm. so that no one's confused, this is Paul's conversion. Mm-hmm. He was Saul, and he was persecuting the church, and this is the time when he encounters Jesus. So we see we left, we, where we left him back in Acts 8, he's still on it, right? He has stepped it up, though. He's decided now he's going to go looking for Christians in other cities. Mm-hmm. So the first thing he does is he goes to the high priest in Jerusalem and asks for letters, almost of like introduction, or he, he wants some weight behind him. He wants to be able to go to the synagogues in Damascus and be able to start to find where the Christians are there, drag them out and take them into prison. So he's going to go to this nearby town in Damascus. I say nearby. It's about 140 miles away, which would take about a week on foot. And his whole intent is to find more Christians. It says people who belong to, to the way, as it is described here. It's probably referring to John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But it's also possible some people think that maybe Jews use this as sort of a derogatory term, people of the way. But regardless. Like sarcastic. Yeah, right. Yeah. But Saul was just going to—he wanted to go find them. He wanted to put them in prison. He was on a mission. He's hunting them. He's basically. hunting them down. Yeah. He's, he's going now to hunt them down, and he wants the backing of the, of the religious leaders and the high priest behind him so that he can have the authority to go and do this. Is this a dark story? It is a dark story, yes. It's— yeah, uh, I mean, it started with Stephen, and and has just become it's it's become his mission. He's it's escalating. Very, he's very zealous. He's yeah. very, uh, yeah. And so he's on this road. He's um, almost to Damascus, and God abruptly interrupts. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He had completely other plans for Saul. We've read the story. There's this flash of light, and a voice says, "Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me?" And Saul doesn't know who it is, but what's interesting is um, maybe he didn't want to know who it was. Mm. From the text we've read so far, like if we just stopped here, we wouldn't know. But those of us on this side of the story, we do know that Saul was a big deal in the Jewish faith. He said of himself later, I'm a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. He, He would have known the Old Testament scriptures well. He had one of the greatest teachers of all of Judaism. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And so this method of calling should have actually sounded familiar to him because mm. when God called Abraham in Genesis twenty two twenty two, he says, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. And again with Moses, when he sees the burning bush in Exodus 3, mm-hmm. he hears a voice from within the bush that says, Moses, Moses. And Moses responds, here I am. It's the same repeating of his name, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? But he, he should have recognized this, but instead he says, wait, who are you? And this is when Jesus responds to him. Saul has an encounter with Jesus at this moment. Jesus introduces himself to him and says, you are, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. 
And when Saul gets up from the ground, he is completely changed. Completely. He is helpless. He's blind. He no longer has a plan. He can't, even if he did have a plan, he can't execute it. He can't see. His strength is is depleted. He doesn't eat for three days. He doesn't eat or drink for three days. He has to be led into the city and just wait to be told what to do. You know, that's not something I've never thought about, Meredith, is that maybe he didn't want to know. Because you would think hearing that voice and being steeped in the Old Testament scripture, he would know that was God talking to him. But I kind of identify with this because sometimes I think I want to know. But if I'm really honest with myself, I don't really want to know because I know if I know, then the revelation from the Lord requires a change on my part. And maybe I just don't want to change. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's a really great observation. I think also he was so zealous and had such a plan and he wanted to be in control and hunt down these Christians. And he he got up and he was completely helpless Mm -hmm. and he had to just wait. None of us likes that. None of us likes to not be in control and not know what the next steps are. And to and to have this plan just to be taken out from well, under and us. he had to admit he had been totally wrong, totally wrong, totally wrong, and that is always a very humbling. It's experience. really humbling, <laughs> and and also it, it's kind of shocking in this story. But mm-hmm. okay, so let's so we have this dramatic scene with Saul, right? He's uh-huh. he's completely changed. He's blind and has to be led into the city, and we abruptly shift scenes over here. This scene two, we've got now we have we're in Damascus already. And we've got this guy, his name is Ananias. He's possibly one of the Christians that Saul was going to drag out of his home and into prison. I mean, he was obviously a Christian in Damascus. But instead, he has a vision and Christ visits him, comes to him and tells him to go and place his hands on Saul and restore his sight. Like he's like, oh, there's this guy from Tarsus named Saul. Just go and find him. And and Ananias, who has heard about Saul from Tarsus, says, um, uh, seriously? (laughs) I have some questions about this. Because uh, I know what he's come here to do, and God just re- God doesn't even answer. God yeah. just repeats, "Go." He indicates Ananias is that he has chosen Saul to be his instrument to the Gentiles. That's what he says to him. That's it. He doesn't say, "Yeah, I know. Yeah, you should be scared." He just says, "Go." I've chosen him to be my instrument. So he's taken Saul, yeah. who was just out for destruction. I mean, that he just he wanted to destroy the church and Christians and anything having to do with that, and then. He has a plan to to reverse that. I know. And that plan is Ananias. And, you know, this reminds me so much of all different stories throughout the Bible where God takes what men do, but he uses it for good. You yeah. know, the most obvious one you think of is Joseph and yep. his brothers, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, when they sell him into slavery and you follow that whole complicated story of his life. And then you get to the part where his brothers come and he says to them, you know, you intended to harm me, but God is using it for good. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So he he takes an instrument of destruction, Saul, and he uses him as an instrument of reconciliation to the Gentiles as Paul, which you know would be really hard for Saul. Oh my god! As gosh. a Pharisee going to yeah. the Gentiles, yeah, it's actually a remarkable story. It yeah. is, and it once again proves that uh, God's ways are not our ways. I mean, we wouldn't have written that script. <laughs> I know. It comes, Paul certainly wouldn't have written that script. It had to have come to a shock. I mean, if you think about it, it had to have come as a shock to everyone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But Ananias, he seemingly doesn't waste time. He goes and he does exactly what God asked him to. We have never seen Ananias before in the scriptures, and we don't see him again. We don't. We, mm. we don't see him as a character again, but it does not diminish his importance at all. He's pivotal in this story. Yeah. God must have seen something in him, the condition of his heart or a particular gift he had, to know that he would be the perfect person to send to Saul during this time. 
because Saul, who has been persecuting the church, who has been approving of killing Christians and putting them, he has a reputation that precedes him. He is visited by a Christian at the time when he is completely blind and helpless and has no power or authority. And instead of being mistreated or worse, instead he's called brother. Mm. And his sight and his strength are restored by that Christian. I'm sure he didn't expect either. No. Yeah. And we have to recognize the power of the Holy Spirit in this situation. I mean, you know, it's not human strength that does this. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, without Ananias, what would have happened? He used that person to to change this whole thing. So one person really can make a big difference when you're obedient to your call. They absolutely can. (laughs) And once Saul is restored, he's back on a mission, right? His strength is restored and he's got his same zealous nature. He doesn't change. He is just, his side has changed now. His, his eyes have been opened. And he's, this time he starts preaching in the synagogues about how Jesus is the son of God. (laughs) What? I mean, all I could, like, I read it. I was like, what? Can you imagine the high priest in Jerusalem and his reaction? Exactly. I sent you with letters. Anyway, (laughs) yes. I'm sure this was so confusing to so many people. Only those who were on the road to Damascus with him, and then Ananias would have known that this story was for real at all. Verse 21 and 22 makes so much sense. The word baffled would have been putting it mildly for people. (laughs) Yes. And this change is so sudden, it's so complete, it's hard for anyone to fully understand it. And so what happens next is not surprising. All of There's a plot by the Jews in Damascus to kill him. Mm -hmm. So his followers sneak him out of the city. And I was really surprised by verse 25, which— you know, because he's lowered out of the basket in the city. But I actually was not surprised by the basket. I was surprised that he had any followers left. <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't understand who was still with him at this time. It, it just is baffling. But so he returns to Jerusalem. But he doesn't have much more luck there because all of the Christians are terrified of him. Of course, that makes perfect sense. I mean, he'd been breathing fire and destruction down their necks, and he went off to do that in Damascus. And he comes back and he says, I'm a totally changed person. Yeah. I mean, even Ananias, when he was saying, excuse me, God, said, wait, are we talking about the same Saul? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was just a lot of doubt and fear, uh, and, fear yeah. and confusion, and it, it just uh, makes perfect sense to me. It does. It does. Um, it does. And that's, but that's when Barnabas comes into this story. Mm. The name Barnabas means son of encouragement. I heard that one time in one of your lectures, Jan, and it's always stuck with me. And Barnabas in this story is staying true to his name, as he does in other times in the scriptures, too. If you read about Barnabas, he is an encourager. So he comes alongside Saul. He brings him to the other believers, and he explains to them all that's been happening. Like, he, he shows them the evidence and how he's been preach, preaching fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And that encouragement helped the other believers to come around and to begin to support Saul. They weren't afraid. Mm-hmm. They even helped him to escape from the Jews in Jerusalem, who naturally started plotting to kill him because this was not in their plan. And so then we end our lesson today. We see that the church at the very end of all of this is enjoying a time of peace and encouragement, which is lovely. It's lovely when you have those times. I'm sure that that was due in no small part to the fact that their biggest persecutor was now their biggest. He wasn't a problem. He was their biggest supporter. Mm -hmm. Well, this is a lot. It is. So what is it that you can sort of distill this down to that you want us to take away for today? Well, there were a few things that came to me and there will be others when people talk about this in their small groups. They'll there's so much, and yeah. it's so rich. But the few things that came to me that I thought about, the first is that God doesn't write anyone off. And it means that thankfully. we aren't— Thankfully. Yeah, mm. thankfully. And it means we aren't allowed to either. 
He is so powerful. His Spirit can move, and it works in the lives and hearts of people in ways that we cannot see or understand. It may look confusing or scary to us, but we have to trust Him. Mm. That doesn't mean that we'll be chosen to be Ananias or Barnabas for some people, right? You will notice God did not send any of Stephen's family members to Saul to minister him at that time. We don't have to let people back in in order to be hurt again, but we serve a God who loves and forgives, and he can transform lives completely. No one, no one is outside of his love or his grasp. So we aren't allowed to write anyone off as being unlovable to God or as being unuseful to him and his kingdom. We can't do it. It's mm. real, that's actually a really hard word to take, but it's mm-hmm. true because Saul became Paul and he was the father of our church in many ways to the Gentiles. And it's important to remember that God used him. Mm, It seems easier just to dismiss someone. Yes. And we can't. Than to really engage with forgiveness and grace and love. We don't get to choose who God loves because he loves everyone. He loves everyone. It's so that's, that was the first thing that came to me. And the second is that this, just this thread for me, there's, there's a community piece to this. So Saul's conversion to Christ, it was really dramatic. It was really personal. Um, a lot of people were not in the know, right? They just didn't, they didn't see that part of it. They heard bits and pieces of it, like the people that were on the road. They, they saw him after, but only Saul had the experience. And that experience of the Holy Spirit's work in his life, it actually made a huge difference as the community of believers surrounded and encouraged mm-hmm. him. So one commentator I read, it put it this way, it's, it was really helpful for me to see that no matter how wonderful an experience of the Holy Spirit is in your life, in Saul's life, The experience can only continue in us and transform us when it is embodied in community. Mm -hmm. So our faith is not—the church is not only the validator of that personal experience, it said, but the church has this necessary component for this continuation and growth. So it's really important when we have a personal experience with Jesus to not just say, well, you know, this is mine and it's just me and Jesus. Yeah, you you can't remain a Lone Ranger Christian. Yeah, there is a community piece of that. The Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit may may move and work in our life in a personal way, Mm -hmm. but the church is, the people in the community of the church are the ones that help us to grow and to interpret that and to, and and you, you really see that. Saul doesn't just change. He needs, he actually has to be dependent on all these other Christians to to, um, to help him to live out this gift and to Mm -hmm. live out this transformation. And that's, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. And the other part of this being connected to community is that the Spirit was at work in so many different people and in so many different ways. There was not just one person. The Spirit was working and moving in many, many lives and hearts in order, to, in order for Saul to become Paul and to become, mm-hmm. become a leader in our church. Um, it was, he worked in, in Saul's heart, of course, in Saul's followers, right, for them to— and to, just make this 180 turn that, oh, okay, we're following Jesus now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Ananias, Barnabas, the Christians in Jerusalem, there's a long list of people. And one of the things I wanted to ask us today as we were ending is, is there someone in this story you identify with? Mm-hmm. Is it Ananias? Is there something that God has been asking you to do? Maybe that sounds crazy or <laughs> scary to you? Or I don't know, is it Barnabas? And maybe has the Spirit been nudging you towards someone who needs encouragement right now? Mm. Or is it the Christians in Jerusalem? Is there somewhere? that you need to accept something new, some new way of thinking or some new leader or person that you've been resisting? Are you able to open your ears to the encouragement of people you trust and accept a change? Or is it Saul? Is there something in your life where you've been thinking you're doing a really good thing, where you've been working hard at it? Is it possible you're actually blind to the ways that you might be hurting God or his people Mm. when you've been meaning to help? 
I, I'm not no. sure. I'm not sure we'd even know if we were Saul. I certainly had trouble when I thought about this, this blindness, not being able to see my hand in front of my face. Mm-hmm. I've been praying for God to show me where I might be blind to something, something that I cannot see clearly. Mm. Well, I mean, this story is amazing because there are so many different entry points to it, so yeah. many different characters. And I, and I think, as is true with all of Scripture, depending on where you are is going yeah. to depend on your viewpoint. You know, it might be Saul today. It might be Barnabas next week. I right. Mean, that, that's the beauty At of it. At different parts right? of your life. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's always, it's always, um, it's always there for us to, yeah. to take comfort in. Okay. So the take home question is using your holy imagination, which of these people do you identify with and why? Yeah. That That's a big enough question, <laughs> but yes. of course I'm not going to leave it there. Okay, right. Good. Uh, I want to return to the dark stories we shared at the beginning. Um, I left you when I was coloring a sheet of white paper, right? And I was going to color it black, mm-hmm. all of it, every single bit of it. So I ran through about five or six black crayons trying to completely fill that page with the darkness that I felt inside. Mm-hmm. And guess what? What? It wasn't possible. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how long or how hard I colored, and trust me, I worked on it for weeks, there was always, always a little white space that was peeking out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was so annoying to me until <laughs> I finally kind of got the message God was sending me, right? Mm-hmm. And it's what you mentioned earlier. There are all kinds of blindness. There's physical blindness. This was spiritual blindness mm-hmm. for me. But the transformative thing for me as I was looking at those little white pieces of specks that wouldn't disappear mm-hmm. was the remembering that verse in John, the first chapter of John, that the light has come into the world and the darkness can neither understand it nor overpower it. Mm-hmm. There will always be light. Mm-hmm. There will always be light mm-hmm. because Jesus is the light of the world. So we need to be looking. And so that's the question I would leave with people this week is... Where are the dark places in your life, and where's the light leaking through? Oh, that's good. Yeah, so we have some good things to think about. <laughs> Thank you, Meredith. I Thank really you. appreciate you coming and doing this. Until next time.